And welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar, episode 11. On today's episode, you got Skinny B and AP. What's going on? Not much, man. Happy to be on number 11. It's a little bit of a lull in the sales or in the uh, in the news cycle. So to talk about some, you know, other things in the world of golf. You know, I think you definitely wanted to talk about you know, Shadow Creek or whatever it's called in Vegas and their ridiculous price change and all of that. So Yeah, I think to yeah, I think to your point, we got a little bit of a lull before the Ryder Cup and everything's revolving around that right now. Um got a couple of tournaments this week. We'll take a look back at last week's tournaments with the LPGA in Cincinnati and the Irish Open. Um but yeah, everything's revolving around that Ryder Cup and to your point We'll get things kicked off with something I've been seeing going around Twitter recently, which is Shadow Creek up in their rates to fifteen hundred bucks a round. Um, They started the year, I believe, at a thousand bucks, made a jump up to twelve fifty, and now fifteen hundred. Knowing that it's in the middle of a desert, just off the Vegas Strip, um, tons of money being thrown around there, mostly on business expenses. I could see why they're doing it. The infrastructure just to get water there and keep that course green is probably staggering. Um, so I kind of get it, but then it got me thinking, and I threw this out to you earlier in the week, start thinking about what are your kind of dream courses that you would play for that $1,500 mark? Yeah, I think I've got a whole bunch of them. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is, you know, Cabot out in Cape Breton. You could legitimately fly out there business class and play both of those courses, which are ranked extremely high for, you know, less than $2,000 Canadian, which is roughly what the $1,500 U.S. equates to. I mean, you've got that one. I mean, you could go to Banff, you know, Alberta, and you could play both of the both of the Kananaskis courses plus Mickelson National plus Stewart Creek, plus Bamp Springs, and still probably fall underneath that doll- that number. I mean, I was just on Google Flights. You could fly from Vancouver to Charleston, South Carolina, and then play Kiowa twice for the same amount. You know, there's other ones. You could go, I'm sure you could play Streamsong, all the courses at Streamsong for less than that. You could go to Wisconsin, play the Straits course at Whistling Straits as well as play the river course at at Black Wolf Run, which is better than the Straits, and one of the other two courses there, and still be under that you know 1,500 U.S. or 2,000 Canadian mark. I mean, what other ones am I missing here? Because there's so many options for less than 1,500 bucks. Yeah, and for me, one of the golf trips I haven't done yet, did Portugal, and I was going to bring up Portugal. You can fly to Portugal, play the course where they play the Portugal Masters at, play a collection of other courses, probably get four rounds in plus flight, maybe not accommodations, and you would still be under that $2,000 mark. For me, I haven't done anything in Scotland yet, and that's kind of one of the places I want to get to. I know your feelings on the weather over there, um, but I look at Port Rush, Carnusie, and the old course in Canadian dollars ends up being 1250 so you could play those three courses, which I would say are three of the top courses over there, and still be under that mark in Canadian dollars, let alone American. So you could probably do like Royal Liverpool um, and a couple of other courses and be under that 2000 Canadian mark, which is just mind boggling how much they're asking there. 
Yeah, I mean, you got that. Like, Bandon, go to Bandon and play. I mean, that's, you know, especially from where we are, it's not that far of a flight. You know, you've got, you've got that option. You've got, you know. There's just so much good golf to be played in the world. For 1500 bucks. I just don't think the experience is there for Shadow Creek. Like, I, I don't know what you get for the 1500 outside of the round of golf, but it just, it doesn't make sense to me how people are willing to pay that amount of money for a course that looks, meh, so-so on TV. Yeah, I, it it it's definitely interesting. I think you know, I I would I would love to know like how many of those rounds are being comped by the casino. So like it probably ended up costing you more than fifteen hundred bucks if you're getting a <laughs> comped round there. Um, but even even the win course, like we've seen it on TV, it always looks in amazing shape. It's I would argue overpriced, but it's still half, if not less, of what Shadow Creek is. Um, yeah, you yeah. could go and like go to Seattle and play, you know, a bunch of the courses there for way less. I, I don't know, man. I, there's gotta be a reason that the price is there. They've got to, there's gotta be a reason they think the price is justified at that. And you know, if they can get it you know, all the more power to them, I'd love to have a, own a golf course where I could charge 1500 bucks. Yeah. But it's like, a, it's know, like going but, to a steakhouse in Vegas. They're charging you like a hundred bucks for a regular sirloin steak. So it's just right. ungodly prices all across the board. And I think they're just saying, fuck it. Let's see how high we can go. People are willing to spend the money because they want to play it as a status symbol more than anything. Right. Say, oh, I spent 1500 bucks on a round and it was the best round of my life. They're going to say, I highly doubt it was the round of your life. But hey, all the power to you if that's what you want to spend your money on. Yeah. And I mean, if you won money in Vegas and you had a, you know, a good night on the craps table or something, then yeah, sure. Whatever. I mean, that's why all those stores are there. Like people go in and buy a new watch because they won money the night before they, you know, it. And I think it, to your I, point, I, they're copping a lot of rounds. Going. I'm just not going specifically to spend 1500 bucks to play Shadow Creek. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're in the same boat there. It's just an astronomical amount of money to play one round of golf when we could just, we just put together like five different lists of places you could play that are in the top, probably 200 in the world. Yeah. Crazy, crazy times. Uh, Shadow Creek is ranked 76th in the United States. It is, it is behind Pasatiempo. It is behind, you know, a Harbor, Harbor Town, you know, it it's behind a bunch at Bandon, uh, Monterey Peninsula, you know. So pretty yeah. much every great golf course in the US it's behind. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's my point. It's kind of a I don't want to call it mediocre, but it is in the sense of you're paying fifteen hundred bucks, it's mediocre for fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, for fifteen hundred bucks it better be the best thing in the face of the earth. I mean it's behind the straits. Yeah, anyway. All right, let's move on to the LPGA event on the weekend. They were in Cincinnati for the Kroger's Queen City Classic. Um, Minji Lee wins in a playoff over Charlie Hall. Um, Coming out of that tournament, my biggest question is, Charlie Hall has been so close this year. I believe she has six second-place finishes for the year. 
she's almost turning into like a Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler sort of situation where she's getting a bunch of second place finishes. When's she going to get over the hump in the near future? Charlie Hall? Yeah. I think she's close. I think she plays a different game than a lot of the other uh, females. You know, I love watching the LPGA because like it's course management. They hit the right shot at the right time. And then, you know, when Charlie Hall gets up there, she goes for it. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of the old, uh, the Phil Mickelson from back in the day. Like it was high risk, high reward. And if you pull it off, you know, it's a highlight on ESPN. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think she's going to get one. It, within the next year, I would think, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But no. I think the biggest thing for her is the major, trying to capture that major and get that monkey off of her back. The The main reason why I brought up the LPGA event was because there's also been something floating around Twitter and Charlie engaged in this debate. So um, wanted to put it out there to you, see what your thoughts are on this on these comments and... Um, see whether or not you could compete because you're right around this guy's handicap. So there's a fellow that no. threw out on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. I'm a three handicap. I hit it 290 yards. I think that I could be a top 20 player on the LPGA tour. So Charlie Hall goes, all right, put up or shut up. Let's do this thing. Call the course. I'll pay for the rounds. Let's do it. Um, what are your thoughts? Because you're a four handicap, four and a half now, but like you're pretty close to what this guy is claiming. And I just question whether or not a three handicap could keep up with any sort of professional golfer on any tour in any of the world. Yeah. I, I think there's a whole, there's a whole nother level of mental fortitude that, professional golfers have that those of us who are not professionals don't have. And I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for, you know, hitting the ball far being somewhat of a tidy golfer. But I think when you get into that environment where there's actual money on the line and big money, this is like the one, this is like the one, you know, elite male versus professional female debate where I think that being the male doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to dominate. You know what I mean? Like it goes to yeah. like the, the Dave Chappelle joke. Like if LeBron decided he was, he identified as a female, he'd be in the NBA or the WNBA and score 840 points a game. Like I, I fully agree with that statement but when it comes to the golf side of things i don't agree with it i think that there's there's way too many factors in it other than just being bigger stronger and faster yeah and i'll go with the mindset of when you're a three handicap you're typically hovering around shooting 76 to 79 almost every round with the occasional low 80 like when you look at the scores from the weekend and i'll just pull on Charlie's because this is who is engaging in this conversation. She goes 67, 68, 68, 69. You even go down this list and I'll go with somebody who just barely made the cut um, this week. Let's see where are we going to go here? Okay. 
Lindy Duncan. She ends up being 80th at plus eight. So she goes 71, 72, 75, 78. Only two of her rounds. And I would argue that the 75 is probably a little bit lower than what this guy can do on this course, the way that it's set up. She shoots 75, 78 for two worst rounds. Like just in a pure statistical sense. Correct. I, I don't think that this guy can compete. Um, I pull on Matt and winning his club championship. He goes, I believe it was 70, 73, 69. Like, and that's on a par 71, I believe. So like, and he's a plus handicapper. That's the difference. Like he's five strokes better than this fella that we're talking about. And I bet you he barely is able to make the cuts most weekends. And it, it does come down to a lot of the mental aspect of the game, being able to work your way around the course. I know they're professionals. I know they spend a lot of time practicing and that's what gives them an advantage. But still, I just don't think that a three handicap could compete. I don't care if it's a woman or a man, you just can't compete at a professional level. Not a chance. Not a chance. I mean, it's going to, the handicap's there to also like adjust based on what course you're playing, you know, what tees you're playing, you know, all that stuff. And I think you nailed it. Like a three, four handicap is a mid to high seventies. Potentially throws out a 73, 74, 72, but then can also blow up. And these are professional golfers playing arguably the same course uh, difficulty that this guy's playing, if not harder. So yeah. there's no way he can compete. I would love to watch that. They should make it the match. That should be this year's match. It should be. Pros versus Joe's edition. It should be. I like it. And I, and I hope like a point is made. Oh, it absolutely would. I think she would curb stop this guy. 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a ridiculous statement to make. And I've seen it too many times come up where... Guys think that they can compete with a single-digit handy against the women. It just—it's not one of the sports where it's going to happen. To your point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Another thing that I want to bring up: so Minji Lee gets a win this week. Um, going over to the men's side of the game, Min Woo Lee is um, on the cusp of losing his tour card for next year. So. He's turning his sights to the DP World Tour, and if he can get into the top 10, um, he will be able to get into the PGA next year uh, based upon that merit. So it's just an interesting close to the season. Your sister's riding high, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe she took over the number one ranking. So she's number one in the world right now, Minji. And uh, and then you got your brother, Min Woo, um, struggling to make it back onto the tour. So just kind of a bit of fun family competition going on there. Yeah, I mean, those two should play a match. Like, let's watch those two play a match. Both of them scratch professional golfers. And that would be a more equal comparison than the one we were just, you know, beating the dead horse about. Yeah, it'd be fun to see those two go head-to-head, have a little side match. So have the pros versus Joes and then have brother versus sister competition going on so you could go lower. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Minwoo Lee is a hell of a golfer. I just think he 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 gets a lot of top tens and that stuff. I think he just ends up coming up short and you know missing it by a hair. Yep. 
Absolutely. All right. Hop over to the Irish Open last weekend. Vincent Norman. Well, let, let me just go okay. back to the, the other dead horse we were beating quickly. Okay. All right. Over to the Irish Open. Vincent Norman won on the weekend with a minus 14. Um, Hurley Long finished in second, minus 13. What, what a name. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Going to have to put him on our radar. Um, Shane Lowry t- uh, finishes in a tie for third at minus 11 or minus 12. Um, looking at some of the guys on that Ryder Cup team, I looked at him and I thought that was a good finish for him. I think a lot of folks have been calling into question whether or not Lowry should have been on the team um, in terms of between him and Aberg there. And uh, I think he kind of solidified the reasoning for him being on the team like he's a solid golfer all around he's won that major so i think he's got some clout but where i wanted to go was with rory's final round um put himself in a position to make a run on sunday um ended up shooting minus six on the saturday to get himself in at minus 11. So really within striking distance goes out there, birdies the first birdies, the fourth, and then doubles the seventh to go out in 35 on the inward nine. This is where things got a little bit swirly. So he bogeys 11 birdies, 13 triple 16 with a couple in the water and then birdies 18 for a 39 inward and shoots plus two. Thoughts on Rory's claps this weekend? Golf is a fickle game, man. He can be the arguably the best player on earth and just lay an egg. And I think I don't think it means anything for you know where he stands or his skill level or where you know where he's going to be coming into the Ryder Cup. I just think he had a a shitty Sunday and that was it. Yeah. No. Be interesting to see how he recovers this weekend after the team making their scouting trip over to Marco Simone and then going over to the BMW PGA Championship. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back and if he's going to get back into Rory form or not. I just look at it and it's another lost opportunity for him, but he's always putting himself into situations where he can win. Um, my mindset though, I keep on going back to like the family life. Does he have as much of that killer instinct as he used to have before marriage, before kids, all those sorts of things. And is that part of the reason why he's had a bit of a struggle when it comes to the majors, especially the masters? I think that one's got added pressure because it's the last one they needs for the career grand slam. He did have a good showing in the U S open, but outside of that, it was a pretty, um, ho-hum season for Rory across the board. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm wondering if he still got that fire inside of him because he, he's even admitted that, um, the family life has taken away a bit of his work ethic and want to go out and grind on the range. Yeah. I think, it, you know, that's probably part of it. I think he's probably had extremely, um, tiring year mentally trying to be the golden boy for the PGA in the PGA versus live um, debate. I think he kind of, you know, died on his sword for them a few too many times. 
Uh, and there's no way that hasn't mentally taken a toll on him too. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Ryder Cup kind of rejuvenates him too. And it, you know, kind of gets a break from the PGA versus Live side of things, and it just goes into that Europe versus US competition. And if that helps clear his head, yeah, yeah, I think that'll definitely help him. And then I look at it too. We talked about it last week with the divide that's been created between the PGA Tour and Rory slash Tiger and the TGL versus Live Golf. Um, I think to your point, it must be mentally exhausting concern he's got time money energy all tied up in this tgl thing and they're just waiting to get it off the ground so i think that also might be a factor that's played into some of his struggles this year being able to close out golf tournaments definitely i mean it's all it's it's kind of all just compounding on top of him. i mean in the end he's still rory mcelroy so if he gets his, you know, his head kind of screwed back on, he's going to perform the way everyone knows he can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's uh, let's chat a little bit about the TGL. So we touched on it last week, and um, it's what they're calling the Golf League, which is the indoor simulator league that him and Tiger Woods. Uh, were the face of to begin with, and now they've brought in some team owners. So they're going to end up having six teams. A bunch of PGA guys have already signed up for the league, including Max Homa, John Rahm, um, Xander Shoffley, Billy Horschel, Justin Rose. I'm trying to think of who else. That's kind of the ones that popped out. Oh, Matt Fitzpatrick also. So a bunch of guys have signed up to be playing in this league. It's going to be teams of three. They're going to have six teams, like I said. Um, they're going to be playing into this massive golf simulator that's going to be 64 feet by 46 feet. Like just a massive screen that they're creating for this thing, um, which they say is 20 times the size of a standard golf simulator screen. They're going to have a short game complex, which these facilities are going to be bigger than an NBA basketball court. And they're going to have three of them within the stadium. Um, all with those, I don't know, you've seen, and you've sent me over the Jason Day putting greens with all the different undulations that it can create. They're going to have three of those things going. And, um, and it'll be kind of interesting to see what they can do with this thing um, at first glance. What are your thoughts on the TGL and what do you think they can do with this indoor simulator league? Well, I think that seems like really cool and I'd love to play on it and, you know, dick around and have a bunch of fun. But the first thought that comes to my mind is like, why don't they make teams and be part of live? <laughs> why don't they make teams and just play every weekend? Yeah, like just make teams and and like be part of the of the live and then ha- and like grow it. Why do it on a simulator? Like go play. You know, we've been talking about it nonstop. Go play all these courses in other countries that don't get you know the attention. Like that seems way more. That seems like way better of a way to grow the game and get people engaged than a really really cool simulator. Now, I love simulators. I would love to have one. It'd be tons of fun to watch. But it just seems like a, it. It seems like they were trying to do something with teams and, and maybe you know get it where people are that play on simulators get a little bit more engaged in that. But in, in reality, like 
Liv did it the right way. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this. I think that's why there was so much hatred for Liv and why there's this like continued, like Rory says, I just, I, I hope the PIF thing goes well, blah, 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 but I just hate Liv. And it's like, well, yeah, because they took what you were trying to do and just made it better before you could even get yours off the ground. Yeah. And from all the stuff that I'm reading, they're trying to grow the game. And part of growing the game is right now the fastest growing piece of the golf pie is indoor simulators. Um, mm-hmm. Going to like a five iron, modern golf, somewhere like that, top golf even. Um, that's the fastest growing part of the game because you don't have to give up the four hours of your life. You can go have a couple of pints in the evening, play on a simulator, yep. watch your football game. Like I saw a bunch of people watching Monday Night Football hitting up the five iron simulators, stuff like that. So I think they were almost trying to like outsmart themselves and create a new type of golf that's fully indoors. So they're hoping that this thing goes well so that they can franchise this and create almost a top golf experience throughout the country where they got like 20 locations. You can go, you can play a round of golf in two hours and it's all on these simulators. Yeah, I, I personally don't think that this is going to take over what golf is, although there are a lot of people in tech um, and Web3 from my experience that are very interested in the technical side of golf and like would rather a virtual experience. So uh, I think this is just playing into the overall like um, virtual reality that everybody's looking to get into in the future. So that's the only route that I see this being successful. I don't know if it's going to be for the traditionalists. Um, I think it's going to be for the younger generation, which is the first foray that the PGA tour has taken to get in with the 18 to 35 crowd. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's a cool concept and you know, there's lots of places there's place here in, in Kelowna where you just have like a pass and you just swipe in and you can go into a simulator. It doesn't even need to be manned. Like there's maybe one person working there. I think it's a great idea, especially in those markets where, you know, you can only play golf for eight months of the year, six months of the year. Um, well, go back to when you were living in Brooklyn. Like yep. would something like this have caught your eye and brought you in? Oh, dude, we used to go, my, my buddy's condo building had a simulator in it and we would be there all the time playing. Like, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been awesome when you're in a place where, you know, getting out to golf is either, you know, you're stuck on a six hour round or you can't get a tee time. Or if you get one, the, the courses are $300 to play, you know, like all those things. This is definitely the sim. I understand why the whole golf simulator side of things is exploding. Like golf in and of itself during COVID expanded tremendously. And this is just kind of the next step of that to, you know, those people who got into golf during COVID are now wanting to play more. And now you've got the simulator side. I just don't, I don't see the appeal of watching pros play in a simulator and it could just be me, but I'm in the same boat. Like I have no interest watching these guys play on a simulator just because I love watching golf and it's natural element. Like I'm fine with that right now. I think to the point that we're trying to make here is I I think this is a marketing ploy to open up more locations of this throughout the country. And this is their marketing opportunity um for sure the the other piece i'm looking at here too and a piece i didn't touch on in the rundown at the start is the team ownership i look at this as being kind of the opposite of what the players are looking for 
And it's going back to a more traditional sports franchise model. So what I'm trying to say is when you look at the list of owners so far, so there's four teams that already have owners, two still yet to be announced. You have a Los Angeles team that's got Alexis Ohanian from um, the Reddit, Reddit. Serena Williams, Venus Williams, as well as the Antetokounmpo brothers. Boston Fenway Sports Group, Atlanta, Arthur Blank, who owns the uh, Atlanta Falcons, as well as the soccer team there. And then New York's Steve Cohen, who owns the Mets. Where I was going with my first statement was Live Golf has given the power to the players. These are your teams. You name them, you choose the players that you want on the team, and you get to financially reap the rewards of your work. So if you bring on a bunch of sponsors, which I know the Poulter team has done, um, and Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, they've all brought sponsors on or they've found ways to financially um, incentivize their teams. I think that that's the route that sports should be going as opposed to just giving it back to the billionaires and allowing them to reap the rewards and benefits of a team and its value down the road. Because what I see happening is they're going to build this up. If it becomes successful, these guys are going to be selling, trading, doing whatever with their teams. And these players who are investing their time, energy, and some of them, maybe even their capital are not going to get the back end reward of this thing. So I just see this going in too much of a traditional sports way um, versus what the live did. And I'd rather see more of what the live did. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I kind of, I don't think you can avoid having, you know, the deep pockets involved. They're inevitably going to get involved when they see a good investment. <clears throat> Pardon me. But I think, I don't know. I, if I'm just sitting this going like picture, Picture all of these investors, like the other list of investors, like Steph Curry's in on it, Iguodala's in on it, Shaq's in on it, you know, whoever else, like Lewis Hamilton. Like, if this had been something where it's the same situation, but it's like the live platform and it's a direct competitor to the PGA Tour and they have all of this money with all of these, you know, highly marketable owners, live would be even bigger than it is right now. And, and I keep going back to the fact that like Liv is taking a piece of the pie from these people who invested in this. And that's why there there's so many issues. Yeah. Um, it's, it's continually taken away from the PGA tour game. And it's kind of funny how they were able to do it within a traditional golf framework we're still going to yeah. go out there. I know they aren't playing 72 holes or playing 54 holes, all that sort of stuff. I think there is still some shortcomings on the live side, and I want to highlight that because I think I get too caught up in talking about all the positives and the positive trajectory that live is going. Um, I think one of the negatives is they still don't have large enough fields to fill out the whole course. So you're sitting there for large por portions of the day if you just want to sit out one hole and waiting for groups to come around that are two, three holes behind. So that could be a half hour, 45 minutes that you're just waiting there, um, unfortunately. So I think they still need to do some of this, that stuff where they fill out the fields a little bit more. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to going to the 72 holes just so then that way they can finally get some 
official world golf rankings. I see that on the horizon as the merger mm-hmm. starts to come um, closer just because they're going to have to do something. I think that's one of the main hurdles that they have currently is the 54 versus 72 hole events. But overall, um, I think they really got that share of the 18 to 35 fan who's looking for fun, entertaining sport. And um, I'm looking towards the TGL. I wish they could get a team or two that was live guys. Maybe that's what they're planning to do. Announcing that later on in the year, bringing some of those guys back to say, hey, we're going to take this divided sport. We're going to bring it back. And this is our way to do it because it is outside the confines of a regular PGA Tour event. I think that would be a smart move, um, a good olive branch to kind of reach out to live with. Yeah, I agree. I never even thought of that. I think that's an awesome idea. We should go into marketing. Yeah. All right. I think we've exhausted that, so we'll move on to the next thing. So this weekend, there's two events going on. On the PGA Tour, we got the Fortinet Championship happening over in Napa Valley. And then on the DP World Tour side, the BMW PGA Championship that's going on at Wentworth Country Club. Um at Wentworth, you got the whole European team after they went to Marco Simone, did their scouting event there. They're flying over and they're going to be playing in the BMW. Um, the one player that I'm keeping an eye on because he's been coming off of just a roller coaster of a year, had some great highs, but also had some miscuts and lows in between those weeks is Seb Straka. He hasn't really put together three good weeks of consecutive results. Um, he goes from winning to missing the, I guess he was T17, then misses the cut, then started to creep up and have, had a couple better results, but then had a 60th finish and then a top 25 finish last week. So I'm looking to him to see what is Sep going to do to even out his play this weekend going into the Ryder cup. Anybody that you got your eye on from the DP world tour stance? Yeah, I want to see. Uh, what's his face? Shoot, my brain stopped. Um, Aberg. I'm gonna see how he does now that he mm-hmm. knows he's on the team. Um, and you know what his what w- how he responds to getting that you know vote of confidence from from Luke Donald. I think he's the one I want to see, especially because he's the only player to be in the Ryder Cup and never have played in a major. Um, I'm also interested in watching Hoygaard. You know, I was really, when we were talking about Moronk not making it, he's the defending champ, yada, yada, yada. Hoiberg won on Simone in 2021. So I didn't know that until like today. Yeah. So like that is another, another person I want to watch because I think if he's won there, he knows how to play it. And I want to see how his game is, is looking going into it. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good call out. I I forgot about that also. So good point there. Um, Jump over to the Fortinet. And this is going to be our first glimpse at JT after he failed to make the FedEx Cup um, this year. I'm not so interested in the result. And the reason being is because I'm looking at Are his blowups going to be fewer and farther between? Is he going to be able to keep the ball in play off the tee? 
can he be a good teammate for alternate shot or is he going to be sitting on the bench? Because I think Spieth kind of needs to be out there. He's a very steady Eddie. You pair him with somebody in alternate shot, you got to have massive amounts of confidence knowing that if you put him in a spot in and around the green, the ball can go in the hole in an instant. So I see them as being a pairing throughout the weekend for the Ryder Cup. And if JT is blasting it left and right into the trees off the tee or is putting himself in very tough situations, I don't know if he's going to be rolled out there during the alternate shot portion, which is not something that you want to be doing. Yeah, I mean, you you essentially have used up a spot on someone you can't use for you know key portions of the tournament. So that's kind of my guy versus, that I'm versus, keeping an eye on. Yeah, versus him, you know, being replaced with someone else who's you know hitting the ball fairly well, and you're a lot more comfortable, and you give yourself more options of pairings. I think it's inevitable. JT and and <clears throat> Spieth will be playing together, but. If he's not playing well or he's not striking it well, I don't know if you can even have him, to your point, play in alternate shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as of right now, the way that I see it, if if he's not playing well this weekend, he's just going to be a four-ball guy and a singles guy. So he'll play and max out in three matches, I think, on the, on the week. I don't see him right this second being a five-match or even a four-match guy um, with how much stronger the top half of that team is anything else this week no not much i mean gonna do a deeper dive into the Ryder cup side of things and how guys are playing after this weekend and then get ready to bore everybody for episode 12 yeah we'll have two weeks of Ryder cup breakdown and we'll do a breakdown of last week's or this week's tour stops and then Ryder Cup will be here before we know it. And then once my guide updates on my TV, I'll be able to give people an idea of when some of the good documentaries are coming out for Ryder Cup week. Right, right. So that's all I got.